You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. The title of my sermon is Remember Who You Are. Remember who you are. The scripture that we're going to highlight and be focused on is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 13. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through 13 says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's a rough one. But verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 says, Therefore remember. Therefore remember. Today I want to encourage you to remember who you are. You see, we as humans can remember. We have that gift, we have that curse, because we can remember good memories, we can remember bad memories. Right now in this technological age, we have pictures, we have social media, we have phones, we have recordings, we have videos, we have letters, we have emails. There is not much that is not documented in regards to our lives to help us remember how many people forget what they said and did on their social media many, many years back, and all of a sudden it gets brought up to them, and boy, we all remember. Woo, look at the fun times back then. You can go to my parents' house, go in the living room, in the cabinet where the TV is in the bottom left is probably about 10 to 20 photo albums, and then once you decipher and and, and move past all of those. There are literal bags and trash bags of Polaroid pictures in those those sticky pieces of paper, and there's film hidden in another bag somewhere. I mean, we have pictures on pictures on pictures. It's very easy for us as humans to remember. Even now, we encourage our younger generation to remember what happened in the past. There's a saying out there that if we don't remember what was happened in the past, then we're destined to repeat it in the future. So it's the encouragement of the teachers to teach what happened in the past and remember what happened in the past, good, bad, or ugly, so that our future generations don't forget about it and don't do the same things that we did. Remember is something that is so tied into humanity. Remembering is an important aspect of our life. We remember even the dead. We remember the journey on how we got here to our current situation. Memories and remembering is so vital to us. My grandfather passed a handful of years ago, and I have pictures of him in my office I have pictures that he took of me as a kid fishing with him. I have uh, 
on my desk in my office, I have, uh, when he used to run track in, in high school and in the military, I have his, his cloth numbers that he wore when he ran. I have on my desk in my office uh, a knife that he would always use to open his mail when he would sit in his recliner. I have memories of him all around my office. Every day, there is something that's within arm's length where I can touch and see and remember my grandfather who is past. My mentor, Pastor John, who passed away last year. I have teachings. I have books. I have podcasts. I have sermons. I have, he did our wedding. We have pictures of our wedding around the house with pictures of him. And I can remember what he taught me and what he said to me. You yourself remember the dead who have passed on. You yourself remember the good, the bad, and the ugly to where you are right now in this moment, in this time, in this season that you're in. Remember. I wrote this. There are some things that we would love to forget and not remember. There are things in my life, there are things in your life that when we lay down in bed at night and your mind just starts racing and you remember that awkward conversation that you had with that girl in high school and she laughed at you. You're like, I'm 30 years old. I'm married. I have kids. I have a house. I'm a pastor now. Seemingly successful somewhat, I believe. And here am I two in the morning remembering this weird conversation that I had in high school and get embarrassed How am I embarrassed 20 years later that there are things in our lives that we remember and think, man, I would love to forget that. In the scriptures, it encourages us to remember, but to remember things specifically. Psalm 77, verses 11 through 12, David writes in verse 11, he says, I will, look, there's a choice that has to be made. You can remember whatever you want. But David makes it a priority to say, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Verse 12 says, I will also meditate on all your works and talk of all your deeds. I will remember your works. I will remember the times that God met me. I will remember the services and the men and women of God who spoke into my life. I will remember the prophetic words that I received. I will remember the wisdom and revelation when I was reading the Bible in the early morning hours, sitting on my sofa and seeing God speak to me. I will remember the things and the miracles that happened that I jotted down in my journal that I can go back and visit. I will remember the works of God because if I just want to remember A lot of times my memory brings me back to the negative places. It brings me back to the insecure places. It brings me back to the places of fault and failure, of insecurity, of times that I didn't measure up. It's very easy if we want to remember to go back to those times. But The writer of this psalm says it's a choice that you have to make that you will remember the works of God. Now, I want to talk about kind of a theological idea. There's a thing that you've probably heard in being in church where it says, where they say that God is omniscient. It's kind of a big word that 
is said, you've probably heard it in church, but uh, it basically means that God is all-knowing. He knows all things. Kind of the definition of omniscient is that he has the capacity to know everything. And that's correct. God does have the capacity to know everything. But there is something that God chooses not to know. There is something that God chooses not to remember. Look in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15. We're going to read through 18. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 through 18. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. Thank you for that. For after he had said before, verse 16, and he's going to be talking about uh, a passage of Scripture. The writer of Hebrews is referencing back to Jeremiah chapter 34, a prophetic word that God gave the prophet Jeremiah. Is He's referencing it here, and this is what it said back in Jeremiah that he's referencing in Hebrews. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and their minds I will write them. Look at verse 17. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Verse 18, now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. All the way back in Jeremiah, the prophet received a word from the Lord about a new covenant that was coming which we're going to talk about in this passage of Ephesians chapter 2, that there's a new covenant that's coming, and in that new covenant, God is going to make the choice to not remember something. God, who is all-knowing, who knows all things, who remembers all things, past, present, and future, is making the choice that I am not going to remember something about humanity, and what he chooses to not remember is your lawless deeds and your sins. As soon as you say yes to Jesus, as soon as you are brought into the new covenant, God makes the choice that he's not going to remember your sins and your lawless deeds anymore. Thank you, Father. For someone who is all-knowing makes the choice to not know something. God could choose to not know or not remember a ton of things. He could say, you know what? I'm not going to remember anybody from the continent of Europe for the next hundred years. I'm tired of getting all this knowledge in my brain. I'm just going to leave all those people alone. Anybody with blonde hair, you know what? I'm just going to forget them, not talk to them. God has the capacity being omniscient to know all things, and the thing that he decides and chooses to remember no more because of the penalty and the price that his son paid on the cross is your sins and your lawless deeds. Praise God for that. God chooses to know everything about you except your sin once you believe on Jesus and enter into his new covenant. So if he can't bring up your sin to you because he chooses not to know them, so God can't hover his, your sins over you, Now, the Holy Spirit is inside of you and can help you to bring some correction to some actions that are going on in your life. But if you are feeling condemned, if you are feeling overwhelmed, if you are constantly being reminded of your sin, you have to know and understand that that is not God that is doing that to you. Because once you are saved, He chooses to remember your sins no more. 
So therefore, he's not going to bring up your sins to you because he doesn't remember them. So what does God remember and want you to remember? What does God want to tell you and help you remember? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. John chapter 14 is a scripture I talk about quite frequently. John chapter 14, verse 26 John 14, verse 26, says, But the Helper, talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus is about to leave the earth, and he's telling his disciples the Holy Spirit is coming, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things, all your sins, all your failures, all your shortcomings, all your lawless deeds. No, the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to help you remember all things that I said, I being Jesus, said to you. So what God wants you to know that he remembers and wants you to remember is the things that Jesus said. And Jesus said, I've come to give life and more abundantly. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says that I have come to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus says, I'm sending the promise of the Father to you. Jesus says, I will build the gates of hell. I will build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. These are the things that God wants you to remember. And these are the things that he brings to your memory. He's not overshadowing you with, well, I can't believe you lied again. Can't believe how much of a disappointment you are. Can't believe you would even think about stepping foot into my church after you've done this, this, and this. That's not Jesus. That's not God because God doesn't remember your sins or lawless deeds. He made the decision before the new covenant was ever created, before the new covenant was ever established. He was still abiding under the old covenant. He made the decision when he told Jeremiah all the way back then, before Jesus even showed up on the scene, I'm going to create a new covenant. And in that new covenant, I'm going to make the choice to forget and forgive all of humanity's sins. Once they believe upon my son. It's important what we remember. It's important what we focus on when we remember. Remember who you are. In this second passage, the second verse, we need to remember where you came from. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us where we came from. It's not talking about us specifically and our sins specifically. When you were a kid, you stole some, some cookies, and when you got older, you lied in high school, and, and you kissed that girl twice when you shouldn't have. He's not talking about your specific sins. He's talking about the state of the Gentiles of humanity before the new covenant. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. And remember, everywhere Paul went, he would first go to the synagogue and he would talk to the Jews and tell the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah that we've been believing for, all the prophetic words, all the things that people have been saying throughout the years. It is Jesus. He is the one, the Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God. He came and died on the cross and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Jews would go crazy. They would say, no, he's not the Messiah. We don't accept him. We see throughout the scriptures that it says because the Jews rejected Jesus as the chief cornerstone, it opened the door for the Gentiles to have access to the kingdom 
of God. So Paul would go, when he would come to a new city, he would go and talk to the Jews at the synagogue, and he would teach them and tell them about this new covenant. He would teach them and tell them about Jesus, and a lot of times, some would believe, but a majority of them wouldn't. They would get mad. They would threaten to kill him. He would say, okay, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. He would go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews of the city, and he would start preaching to them. And he would tell them, believe on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Quit serving all these other gods. And not only did Paul go out there and just preach, because it says that, uh, he says, I didn't come in eloquent speech, but I came in word and in power. And he started doing miracle signs and wonders accompanied with the word of God as he was preaching. And all of a sudden, these Gentiles started seeing miracle signs and wonders, people raised from the dead, people healed, people delivered, people set free, people speaking in tongues. He saw these miracle signs and wonders with the word that was coupled together, and miracle signs and wonders started breaking out in the Gentile people. They started experiencing salvation, and it caught on like wildfire because there was no way and no other gods that were out there that were like this God who says God sent his son to the earth to die, and now you can have a personal relationship with that God when you believe on him. No more sacrifices are needed. You don't have to sacrifice animals. You don't have to sacrifice babies. These temples that were all over these cities doing all of these things to try and appease a God in a statue that was quiet, dead, and dormant. And this man shows up and says, you can believe and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul was constantly battling everywhere he went. He's preaching to the Jews. The Jews reject it. They beat him. They torture him. He leaves. He goes and talks to the Gentiles. The Gentiles get saved, get on fire for God. There's a church. There's a movement that is born in that city. The Jews come back and say, well, now that you're saved, now that you're a part of the kingdom of God, you've got to follow our laws. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to uh, follow the Sabbath. You've got to follow all these traditions. You've got to follow the rules, the laws. And the Gentiles will say, I don't know, uh, this is not what he preached, this is not what he told me, this is confusing, I'm lost, now I don't know what to believe. And everywhere he went, this was Paul's ministry. Boy, that sounds like fun. Preach to somebody, they hate you, they stone you, they literally kill you, you get up, rise from the dead, go preach to another group, they get on fire for God, they're so excited, and then this other group shows up and says, he said it wrong, don't listen to him. Then they get mad at him, they kick him out, and he says, well, I'll go to another city and I'll try it again. Read Acts. You'll see that in the book of Acts, the story of Paul and the journey that he goes on. So understand that what he's talking about to the church of Ephesus is that these Jews keep trying to sneak into the Gentile church and say, you've got to follow the law. You've got to follow this old covenant. And Paul is trying to bring correction. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 2, therefore remember that you Once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. Now, we're all Gentiles. If if you're not of the Jewish faith, if you're not physically born into Abraham's family, then you are a Gentile. Praise God, because I love bacon, I love shrimp, and I love when they're paired together. Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. They were called uncircumcision because it was God who told Abraham at a very old age, hey, let's make a covenant together. I've got a great idea. You get a knife and you cut yourself. 
And then you bring all of your family, all of your slaves, all of your people together, and then you circumcise the men. I mean, that sounds like a cult to begin with. Imagine your boss coming up to you saying, hey, guys, I just talked to God. Time out. What would you say? You just talked to God? Okay, this is crazy to begin with. Okay. Um, I've already done this, uh, so I know what we're about to go through. Um, But God told me to get a knife, and just the men, I've got to cut something off. And then we're going to be a part of God's family and his kingdom, and there's a covenant. We're going to be blessed. You're going to use that knife, and you're going to cut what, where, when, how, and why. And then we're supposed to be blessed because of it? Yeah. It's going to be great, guys. Who wants to go first? I'm going to get in the back of the line. Let Johnny go first. It was something that God established with his people to be circumcised. So it was very common for the Jews to recognize that you are a Gentile, you are uncircumcised. Those are names and nicknames that were given to us. By the Jews, but the uncircumcised were trying to be taught by the circumcised that they needed to be circumcised. And then Paul's coming back saying, No, you don't need to follow those laws. Whew, thank God. Whew, praise God. Don't need to be a part of that. Made in the flesh by hands. Look at verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ. Before the new covenant was established, before you said yes to Jesus, you were without Christ. Being aliens, from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't a part of the family. You weren't a part of the, 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 the kingdom of God. You weren't a part of the, tri- the 12 tribes. You weren't a part of any of these. So therefore, not being a part of those means you weren't a part of the commonwealth of Israel. And, verse 12 says, strangers from the covenant of promise... You see, it was understood and misunderstood. People think in the Old Testament, well, God loved people, and he did. But he also killed a whole bunch of people in the Old Testament. The Philistines, God had a heyday. His people enjoyed destroying the Philistines. So he was trying to tell them, and you have to understand, that these old people, the Philistines, the Amalekites, they were not a part of the covenant of God. Israel had the covenant with God. They had the covenant. They were were completely protected by God. And anybody who was outside of that old covenant wasn't protected. And Paul is making that statement here, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Remember where you came from before Jesus shows up. Before the new covenant is established, you were considered an uncircumcised Gentile without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise. Look at this, having no hope and without God in this world. Boy, praise God. That's a, that's a heck of a story there. That's real encouraging there. Amen. I have no hope. Nowhere near God. It's important that we remember where we came from. Look at Acts chapter 10. Women, when y'all go to the Bible study, y'all will reach this probably next week or two weeks from now. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. 
Look at the stats of this guy. Look at what Paul, well, the, the writer of, of Acts was Luke. Look at how Luke describes this man. Cornelius, in verse 2, says he was a devout man, or devout, however you want to say it, <laughs> a devout man, number one, and one who feared God, number two, one who feared God with all his household, his entire household feared God. He also gave alms. He also gave alms generously to the people. And look, he prayed to God always. Look at verse 3. So that's at least six things about this man, if I'm being honest, is way more of a man than me. I mean, this man gives, this man prays, this man is, is devout, his household forces his household, make sure his household is reverential to God. Keep reading. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, verse 4. And when he observed what he said and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Verse 5. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Verse 6. He is lodged with Simon the Tanner, that's not confusing, uh, whose house is by the sea. And look, he will tell you what you must do. This man, Cornelius, gave alms, gave alms generously, prayed to God, was a devout man, his whole household feared God, and he still was not saved and still was not a part of the kingdom of God. He says, you need to call Peter to come to your house, and he will tell you what to do. And if you keep reading in Acts chapter 10, Peter brings the gospel to him and says that Christ died for your sins. He was buried in a tomb, and he rose again the third day. And it says at the moment that he was speaking those words, Cornelius and his whole household started speaking in tongues. And Peter says, wait a second. Only us Jews were given the promise and the gift of the Father, and we thought and understood that you had to be saved to therefore speak in tongues, but we haven't had an altar call. We haven't invited people to the front. We haven't asked them to raise their hand, fill out a card, make a, a choice to come to church. They just heard the gospel message, believed, became saved, instantly started speaking in tongues, and then Peter says, can we deny water from them? We must go and baptize them. And the first Gentile convert was converted and saved through the kingdom of God. All of these works, all of these things that Cornelius was doing, and he was not saved because he had not believed in Jesus and what Jesus did. And, a, and God sent a man and says, I hear your prayers, I receive your alms, and I'm going to tell you words through my man and through my pastor to preach to you and tell you what you must do to be saved. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, being Jesus, who justifies the ungodly, his faith, or her faith, is accounted for righteousness. But you've got to understand where we came from, that we were alienated from God. We were pushed away from God. We had no protection from God. We had no protection from His wrath. 
under the old covenant. We weren't even a part of the old covenant. We weren't even allowed to be a part of the old covenant. Remember, Jesus had an encounter with a centurion and had an encounter with a woman who was a Gentile that Jesus said plenty of times, I'm not sent but to the lost house of the sheep of Israel. I'm sent to them, not to you. And both the centurion and the woman made great statements of faith which forced Jesus to respond. He said, because of your great faith, your servant is made whole. Your daughter is free from that demon. We remember where we came from, and by believing on Jesus is what gets us in the door to the new covenant, the new experience with him. And I'll finish with this. We've got to remember where we came from, but we've got to remember what you got brought into. It's great to remember what we got brought out of, but it's more important that we remember what we got brought into. What did God bring you out of? Your testimony? Yes, that's great. But it's more important to remember what he brought you into. And how did he do that? Verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you, being me, you, all who are listening, who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Under the new covenant, what did you get brought into by Jesus' blood? Let me highlight some things that the Scripture says His blood did for you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, under the new covenant in Jesus' blood, you were cleansed from all your sin. In Matthew 26, 28, under the new covenant in Jesus' blood, you receive forgiveness of your sins. Revelations chapter 1 verse 5, you were freed from your sins. You have to understand that those three things are totally different. That with Jesus' blood, one, you were cleansed from your sin. Two, you were forgiven of all your sins. And three, you were freed from all your sins. This is what Jesus' blood did for you. In Revelations chapter 12 verse 11, his blood helped you conquer the devil Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, you received redemption. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, you were reconciled and made at peace under his blood. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, under Jesus' blood, you were secured in your eternal redemption. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, under the new covenant and in Jesus' blood, you were justified and saved from the wrath of God. The last thing that I wrote down was under the new covenant in Jesus' blood. In this scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, you were brought near to God. You were brought near to God. You once were afar off. You once were not allowed or even able to access him and get close to him. You were without hope. You were without Christ. You were without God. You were away from him. But under the new covenant in Jesus, remember that you were brought near to God. Not at an arm's length. Not in the back room. Not the red-headed stepchild of the family. You were brought in as a son and daughter of the Most High God. You are a younger brother or sister to your big brother Jesus, the Scripture says. He has brought you near 
by the blood of Christ. And in that blood, there is redemption. In that blood, there is forgiveness. In that redemption, in that blood, there is cleansing. In that blood, there is freedom from the wrath of God that you are completely brought into. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, my last scripture. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's polling and asking a question to the church of Corinth. He's letting them know, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We know in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul makes the statement to the church of Corinth in his second letter. He says, for he who knew no sin, being Jesus, became sin so that we could become the righteousness of of God. So he's saying there's a distinction between the unrighteous and the righteous. And that distinction is believing in Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, you become righteous. You are no longer a sinner. You are no longer the things that we are about to read. You are no longer unrighteous. You are righteous. You are placed and seated in a position of righteousness. You are seen as Jesus is. As he is, so are we in this world, is what the scripture says. But those who are unrighteous, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that are unrighteous, those that are outside of the new covenant, those that do not believe in God will not inherit, will not be a part of, will not see the kingdom of God. Then Paul goes on to just list off a list of unrighteous people and unrighteous things in Verse 9, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Verse 10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He is making a statement here. He's saying, number one, the unrighteous, those that aren't righteous, those that are not a part of the kingdom of God, those who aren't saved, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is a list of those who, not being saved, will not experience the kingdom of God. Verse 11 says, And such were some of you. Imagine, Paul writes this letter, sends it to a church, and then there's somebody up there reading this letter from the great apostle Paul as he's calling these people out, saying all of these things, and he says, Some of you who are in the chairs right now listening, some of you were like these people. But look at this in verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's important to remember what you came out of, but it's also important to remember what you were brought into. You once were unrighteous. You once were those things that are listed up on that Scripture, but now being in Christ, being in the new covenant, you have been brought in near God by Jesus' blood. And it's vital and important that you remember who you are. You're no longer just an uncircumcised Gentile, you are a son and daughter of the Most High God. It's also important to remember whose you are that you have the Abba Father who loves you who wants to take care of you, who wants to tell you about things that his son has spoken about through his Holy Spirit. He doesn't want to remind you of your shortcomings, of your failures, of your sins, of your lawless deeds. He chooses to forget those things, and he wants to remind you of who he sees you as. And he sees you through the blood of Christ, who has cleansed you, who has freed you, who has restored you, who has brought redemption upon you, and who has removed his wrath from you so that you could have eternal security with him. 
The last thing I wrote, remember who you are and remember whose you are. Remember what God saved you out of and especially what he brought you into through the blood of his son. Remember who you are. Let's stand up today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity today as we read your word to remember who we are, to remember what you did for us, the price and the penalty that you paid for us, Father, that we once were far off. We, also, we once had no hope at all. We once had no ability to contact you, to experience you, to talk to you, to love you, and to receive your love. But it says in your word that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And now there has been a way where the Gentiles, the uncircumcised, can be brought into your kingdom because of the blood of Jesus, because of his blood and his restoration, because of his simple words of it is finished, now my life begins, that you've come to give life and more abundantly to, to us as Gentiles, as the uncircumcised father. And now we have hope. Now in this world, we have hope. We can believe and let that anchor in our soul be hope, knowing that Christ is on our side, that God, you are on our side. I will not fear. What can any man do to us? Father, I thank you that you sent your word and you healed us and you removed all destruction from us. Father, there are people here and there are people that are watching online that are going through sickness and illness and disease, Father. And Father, I thank you that you sent your word and you healed them right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that by Jesus' stripes, those that are here, those that are watching online, by Jesus' stripes, they are already healed. So in the name of Jesus, I speak healing into their bodies now. I speak restoration into their bodies right now. Holy Spirit, you go into that room, into that hospital room, into wherever they're at, and you bring peace, and you bring healing, and you bring restoration, and you bring comfort and peace now in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that you are the healer. You're the one who called yourself the healer. And so I'm just dumb enough to believe that you want to heal me and you want to heal the people of this congregation now in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that there are people that are here that are going on vacation, that are traveling for the holidays, and there are people that are already traveling and going on vacation now, Father. And I just pray Psalm 91 protection over them right now, that you send your angels with them as they travel. Father, that you clear the roads, you remove crazy drivers, drunk drivers, you remove construction zones, Father, so that they can drive, they can go where they need to go, and they can go rest and recover and bring, be brought back safely to this congregation, Father. So I thank you for your people that you're protecting them. You're giving them rest. You're giving them favor in everywhere that they go as they go on vacation these next couple of weeks, Father, and that you bring them back safely. So, Father, I thank you that uh, we have the favor of God. Father, I thank you that your word says that we're the head and not the tail. We're above and not beneath. Father, I think you says in your word that everything we put our hands to must prosper. Father, I thank you that we are the salt and light of the earth. Father, we're a city set on a hill. Father, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're on vacation, Father, let us shine our light everywhere we go. Let us be the miracle-working agents of the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Father, that we hear your voice. We lay hands on the sick. We raise the dead. We cast out demons. Father, we be the agents of your kingdom, You're the soldiers that you have called us to be everywhere that we go in life. Now, Father, bless your people, protect your people, cause them to prosper in everything they do, and bring them back safely next week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Women, we'll see you on Thursday at the Bible study, and we'll see you all on the 4th of July next Sunday. Take care, family.
Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.